I'll get started with this. And I love sharing the story. Um, I shot a lot of video when I was over there, and so I'm trying to measure out not giving you too much story or too much video uh, in the time that we have here. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, what I want to share is my trip, which became a spiritual journey, actually. So even if I don't read any scripture today, this is a spiritual journey uh, for me that I want to share with, with all of you. Uh, my first trip to Ukraine actually happened about this time last year, uh, pre-war. There's a seat here and a seat here. So, wherever. Uh, but this was in uh, the fall of last year. I went with a number of medical professionals from the Nashville area. And they'd asked me to come with them to video uh, their trip. They were going, they went to, we went to um, Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, and also to a western uh, city called uh, Ivano-Frankivsk, which I will not try to spell for you. It's hard enough just to say that, but Ivano-Frankivsk. And there were medical schools in both locations. And so they went to talk to students at these medical schools, and, and I went, like I said, and, and videoed that and documented that. And that was, uh, that was actually my first trip off the continent. I waited this late in life to do that. Uh, but uh, I did that, and that allowed me to meet some people over there. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. <coughs> Old age is really taking my voice away. Um, but that allowed me to meet some people, meet some of the young people over there. But prior to that, and you'll see her in the video. I had a friend named Christina that I met many years ago, and she and her family live over there. Her live over there now. Her husband and their little six-year-old boy, Mark. And so I knew her anyway. Uh, she lived in the states for a while. She is a native-born Ukrainian, but uh, years ago, uh, her parents brought her to the United States, and she lived here for a number of years. During which time I met her. Uh, it's a long story, but we did a video at the place where I worked. We did a video on her because she's a very accomplished artist. And so we did a, a profile video of her. And I got to meet her then. This has been about 12 years ago. Um, and during that time, she lived in the States. And this is important. Even though she's native-born Ukrainian, she speaks incredible English. Uh, at least I think so. And um, she developed such a love for America that she uh, got her American citizenship. Uh, she told me that Ukraine doesn't allow dual citizenship, so she had to forego her Ukrainian citizenship and chose to be an American citizen. But in the intervening years, she moved back over there, uh, back to Ukraine, and as I said, uh, started a family, and they lived in, uh, in Kiev, the capital city, which was one of the first primary targets when the Russians invaded. Uh, February, early February, uh, like February of this year. And um, when that began, like most of you all, I was real shocked and, and um, angered by that. And I was also watching, along with the news, I was watching Facebook, and Christina had a presence on Facebook since she and her family lived there. She was uh, submitting posting stories. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, about what she and her friends were doing, which was humanitarian work. She and her family fled from Kiev when the, uh, uh, that's a long story, but fled from Kiev when the bombing began 
went to Western Ukraine, and that's where they, she wanted to stay in the country, so that's where they stopped in a city, in a town called Vorokta. Uh, I can actually spell that one, Vorokta. <laughs> and uh, they, they stopped there, and they, they began to see, and some of this is in, is in uh, one of the short videos, they began to see the need for humanitarian aid. As you all were watching, if you watched on TV, just a huge influx of people coming that way, mainly women and, and, and uh, small children. So uh, I was watching her, following her post and exchanging uh, messages with her on that. And um, along at the same time, I was watching, like I said, watching the news, and I got so angry. Uh, I got so angry about what was going on. Um, and I got real sad about it too, as you can tell. Um, and I talked to God, I really mean this literally, I talked to God a lot about this. And I'm not, for those who've known me for a while, I'm not the kind of person, I kind of wish I were, but I'm not the kind of person who has daily conversations with God, and I wish I did, and I could. That's my, my choice, I guess. But I began to do it then. Um, and, and I asked God, I said, God, what do I do? I am consistently angry, consistently sad, and that's not helping those people, and it's certainly not helping me. What do I do with this? Uh, and I really was desperate. I'd never had anything quite affect me, any news quite affect me like this before. And so, just not long after I began that series of pleas. Uh, I got an audio message from Christina uh, that said, David, why don't you come over here? Uh, bring your camera. Uh, come over here and document what we're doing. And so that, to me, was only one. I could only interpret that one way. Um, it was too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence. So I said, okay. That's what I'm going to do. I already had my passport from my previous trip, so I didn't have that option of excusing myself with that. So I already had that in place. So I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go. I'm going to uh, come over there. And then, <laughs> this is kind of where the Jonah part of the story kicks in. I decided not to. Uh, I thought I was watching, again, watching too much news, and it was real confusing to me because I thought, okay, God, you seem to want me to go, and now... Missiles are flying into western Ukraine. The fighting's in the east, but missiles can hit anywhere. And that became real apparent watching too much news. Uh, and I, you know, I struggled with that. I said, are you, crying? are you saying your first, your, your incentive to go is being retracted now, and you don't want me to? What? So I, again, this is more me than God at this point, but I decided not, okay, so I'm going to cancel my trip, I'm not going to go. Um, so what I started doing, I'd buy, I'd go online and buy uh, medical supplies and send them over there. You, Christina had given an address to send them to, so I was doing that. Uh, I bought a bunch of stuffed animals, which sounds odd, but when I realized that children were leaving their homes quickly with bare necessities, I thought they need stuffed animals. So I was doing that. And I got to tell you, that didn't work. <laughs> I was trying to bargain with God in a way, trying to manipulate a little bit. I said, okay, I'm not going to go personally, 
but me and Amazon are going to send a lot of it over there. So we're going to partner like that. So, so that's, that's what I, I attempted, and like I said, it wasn't working. It didn't, uh, it wouldn't let go of me, I wouldn't let go of it, so I said, okay, I'm gonna, I am going to go, I'm going to commit to these people to go, and I'm going to do it. So that's, that's what happened. Uh, this was late April, early May when I went, uh, and, and this was way outside my comfort zone, i got to tell you. Uh, just going to Ukraine itself prior was outside my comfort zone, but going into a country at war with a, uh, uh, a brutal enemy um, just really was way outside my comfort zone. Uh, and so I really had to push myself. But uh, went through, went to Amsterdam, then into Krakow, Poland, because obviously there's no air traffic other than Russian fighter jets. There's no air traffic in Ukraine. Couldn't fly in there. Uh, so the idea was to get me um, across the border uh, into, uh, into Ukraine. And I will, will say, I'll just back up a minute and say the, the flight from uh, Amsterdam to Krakow, Poland, was very eye-opening to me, the whole trip was, but particularly this was because I was on the plane with a number, there were a number of Americans on there. Um, and I had my little, I don't have it on today, oddly enough, but I had a little pin, Ukrainian flag, an American flag pin that I wore uh, over there. And I did have a number of Ukrainian people thank me just for the, it's amazing, just for the small gesture of putting a pin on my shirt, they were so grateful by what that represented. Um, and, but when I was on the plane, there were a number of Americans on there, and they were flying in. They were, their <laughs> ultimate destination was to go into Ukraine, and most of them were going for medical, for medical uh, help, to help the, the people there. And I was just so overwhelmed uh, by that, and overwhelmed and, uh, and proud of our country that people would do that. Some of them were going to be there a while. Some of them were going into the war zones. Uh, and I just was, again, I had not traveled outside my bubble much, and I was just in awe of people like that, although I became aware that there were more and more of people, of uh, those kind of people willing to do that. Um, okay, I got into, <laughs> I got into uh, <clears throat> Krakow, Poland, and, uh, and I was met by a couple of nice young Polish men who spoke, spoke English, thank God. And uh, that had been arranged, and I went in on foot. And I won't go into details, but that was that was the most difficult part of the trip. I tell people now, if I could just kind of pop myself over there, I'd go back in a minute. But the getting in and the getting out were really, really difficult uh, for me. I think a lot of it was emotional. I know a lot of it was physical, <clears throat> just the exertion of that. Before I left, one of the kids did... <clears throat> I course told all our children I was going and one of them did email and said David nobody else will say this but you realize you're almost 70 years old <laughs> <laughs> and so yes I knew that <clears throat> and the trip brought out every year of that that I felt uh, but there was there was one point uh, when I got across the Polish border I didn't realize because my Polish guides could not go into Ukraine my Ukrainian host, Christina and her family, could not go into Poland, and so they could get me to the guard station and my friends on the other side of the Ukrainian guard station, and so that's as far as they could go, so I was kind of without, I was adrift, uh, uh, but uh, 
you know, there were the kindness, there were some kindness of people who helped me get through. Um, I'll just, I'll just uh, kind of sum up my arrival there by saying that um, when I was going in this netherland between Poland and Ukraine, that little walkway, walking to, I shouldn't say little, that distance, um, I was really getting tired. I was having lots of issues. I had camera, I had tripod, I had to pull along luggage that the wheels on it had been beaten off of it. I was going over cobblestone, brick cobblestone, and I didn't realize what the wheels were getting beat off of it, and they were falling off the axles. So I've got that, and and uh, and I, I had to keep stopping, periodically stopping to catch my breath, stopping to catch my breath, and this really nice, uh, stout Ukrainian woman uh, <laughs> appeared, and she didn't, of course, we couldn't communicate, language-wise with each other, but I tell people she saw the universal sign of despair on my face, <laughs> and she interpreted it correctly, and, and I, could, I could understand, we were able to understand that she was offering to pull my suitcase the rest of the way, and I tell people I had no qualms about uh, my manhood or about ego or anything. <laughs> I gladly accepted her offer, and so I got into the country that way. Um, I did get to meet, it was around midnight by the time I got to meet my host and guest and, and Christina and her family, um, is, is who I relied on. Um, but um, I did get there and I'll show you a video in a little bit, I just want to give you some, a little bit of background. Uh, it, it, and some of you may have this experience of being in a country at war, it was a first for me and so just seeing the atmosphere and feeling the tension and going through roadblocks, you know, these aren't Tennessee Highway Patrol roadblocks. These are men are fully armed and wearing, you know, their flak jackets and bulletproof. And, you know, this is no small thing. Uh, you know, there are concrete barriers set up at various places. There are, you know, some of you may have seen this, they've got the, they weld together these kind of <coughs> what they call hedgehogs, but three, three pronged devices meant to slow down uh, uh, vehicles or tanks. And so just seeing that was, was quite a revelation to me. But what I ended up doing um, was um, uh, shooting video. I was there for about a week, uh, 10 days, maybe a week to 10 days. And um, I shot video. My purpose is, is Christina does humanitarian work. She's uh, an ambassador with the United Nations, and she's doing humanitarian work. Um, and um, works off donations. So my one of my main goals was to shoot video of her for work and put these, compile these into small vignettes, like what you'll see here, the videos I show. I may show you cut two, maybe three of them. Uh, but they, uh, they are designed to be go on social media or to be shown to expose people to the work that they're doing and tell her story. Uh, so typically what I do is, aside from sharing them with people like you, I'll send them to Christina and her group, her people, uh, and they will place them on social media. She has a couple of guys who, who do this, uh, she works with on this. Uh, so what you'll see are, like I said, kind of brief pieces. Um, I've got two in mind that I'm going to show, and I kind of have to hop from one file to the other, so it may take me a moment to go from number one to the to the second one. Uh, but that's just to let you know that's what these are designed for. Most of them, 
most of them have uh, this screen at the end so people can, you know, people watching it can make the decision if they, they want to contribute or not, but, but even if they don't, it's to inform uh, people. And uh, I'll just say this really, it was really a God thing for me, and, and I, I'm not one to say that often. Uh, yeah, I don't mind giving testimony, if, you, if we can call it that, but it, it was just, um, I, I got to see uh, God's hand at work, and I think God can work through anyone he wants to in any way he wants to, but I guess my one point I want to make is it you can see God's work even if the people, and they, they are believers, but even if they don't acknowledge, you know, even if it's not done in a church environment, I guess is what I'm getting at. I mean, this is, you know, my belief is God works, does most of his work outside of this room and space anyway. And I can see it here. And, and so that's one of the, that was one of the big parts of my spiritual journey is, is to this, just this, awareness that that God works in that way um, okay I think I'm gonna do that let me get over here and, and hope the technology works JB I want to he's not here right now but I do want to take a moment to thank him he did help me set up set this up earlier this week and Melanie I may ask you in a minute to okay. turn the lights off yes what is Russia's, Russia's intent? Do they want to take over the Ukraine permanently that's that's my yeah. That my under, the question was is Russia's. I'm not a polit. I don't know geopolitics, but but my understanding is uh, that that Russia feels like Ukraine is a part of Russia, and they're coming to take it back into the fold. That's 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 my understanding of the, of the intent. I know what we're hearing now from uh, Mr. Putin is that. Um, you know, now they just seem to want to settle for a part of it. But, you know, when you attack a capital city and your missiles are going into the other side of the country, your designs are probably for more than just a little sliver of land. So that's, that's my understanding. And that's, and again, um, not, I'm not knowing much of the history. I came to be aware that there's no love lost between Russia and Ukraine. I, I got that message loud and clear. This is a longstanding... Uh, Quarrel's not the right word, but it's a long-standing war and disagreement between the two of these people. Even if miss, even before missiles started flying, they were, you know, Russia had designs on Ukraine, and Ukraine was not was going to resist that. So that's that's my understanding. It's it's uh, it's the belief that Ukraine's a part of the Russian Empire, and they need to. So are they going to start looking at all those southern provinces that they had taken before? Yeah, they've taken, yeah, I had, uh, we did an interview with a Ukrainian gentleman, it won't be in this, uh, but, uh, you know, the way he put it is the war began years ago when Russia took Crimea, which is in the coastal area there, so yes, in that southern coastal area. So, you know, some people see this war as having started then when that was taken. Um, and I, I will say, um, there, I'm still doing some work on the video because um, my objective is to do a long broadcast length video. By that I mean 30 minutes or an hour. Uh, and some of that will involve getting interviews translated. As you might guess, most people in Ukraine speak Ukrainian. 
imagine that. And Christina, <laughs> without her help, of course, I would have been lost. Um, but she, she would do a lot of the interviews. Uh, and I had no idea what the people were saying, of course. But, I mean, I could tell when someone, when someone is tearing up or struggling or they're holding a child and they're, they're a refugee, if I know that much, I know a lot. Uh, but some of the interviews have, still have to be translated, and we didn't have the chance to do it then. Christina and I talked about it ahead of time, and our feeling was when I'm doing, when she's talking to a refugee, I don't want to, we don't want to stop and have her turn to the camera and interpret, translate it, and then go back to the interview, because that seemed very harsh and very unfeeling to do that to someone who's speaking so emotionally about something. So uh, my plan to get the, the interviews done by her, translated by her later, didn't work out, uh, but, so I'm still trying to do that now. But uh, what uh, the videos I'll show, uh, most of them are Christina speaking in English, or the narrations in English, and there may be a couple of uh, difficult, her husband, you'll see her husband, his name is Roman, he speaks English, but it's not quite as polished as hers, so you may have to struggle a little bit to, to hear about, hear what he's, understand what he's saying, uh, but hopefully that will become clear. And I, and I will do, and thank you for asking that, I will try to give myself enough time um, later on to, uh, to take on any uh, any questions. <coughs> okay, Melanie, you wanna? And, and I checked the audio, so hopefully it's it's uh, it will work well enough. I saw the situation. I saw the um, uh, food products shortage of food in the shops. I, I understood that there, there will be a problem because thousands and thousands of refugees from, uh, from the east of Ukraine came in this region of Verovta and Ivano-Frankivsk and that was like day after day thousands are coming, coming and I understood that it could be a problem so I said to Christina, Christina uh, you got all your connections, you got the uh, possibility to uh, unite people, to uh, to deliver them the message that uh, we need uh, to do something. We need to to, to find the supply for all the refugees. They're internally displaced people who were forced to leave their homeland, places like Mariupol, places like Donetsk region, uh, like uh, Mykolaiv, uh, and come here. Uh, with their children. Uh, some of them gave birth to their children here. You met some of them today as well in our storage. And for them, what we're doing here on the ground is a, a life-saving race, really, because uh, they benefit from all the aid and food and clothing that we provide, and it's totally free. So uh, every displaced person here on the ground can come uh, collect a bag full of whatever is necessary for them and for their children and toddlers 
to live off, which is very important because these people were left without job, without money, without household, nothing, you know, so they really, really need that help. show you another little piece. You may have said it, but when, when were you over there? I was over there late April, early May <coughs> of, of this year. David, what's the distance these people were having to travel from their homes to western Ukraine, either on train, on foot, any way they can get there? What I have no resource to tell me how yeah much I'm sorry and I wish I, I wish I had an answer to that okay. I know it's well, I, I it's I know it's hundreds yeah if you want to you know Kiev and they were going Vorokta is V-O-R-O-K-H-T-A V-O-R-O-K-H-T-A and Vorokta uh, and so maybe I guess you're looking that up right now yeah, but if you want to look from Kiev to uh, <coughs> to that um, and some of them are coming from further east than Kiev. Right. Kiev is almost centrally located. Um, but while you're doing that, let me see if I can... Every displaced person here on the ground can come and uh, collect a bag full of whatever is necessary for them and for their children and toddlers to live off, which is very important because these people were left without job, without money, without household, nothing, you know, so they really, really need that help. When you start providing the food and uh, humanitarian, all the humanitarian help, uh, aid for uh, refugees and then the number of uh, products uh, got uh, huge so we started providing these uh, products to the east of Ukraine to the to the front side of Ukraine where people practically uh, 
uh, have been living under the bombs uh, every day and every hour. I have a whole list, waiting list of people who are waiting for food. And I can't, uh, you know, I just can't say no to them. I put them on hold and I pray and hope that more food will come, that more aid will come. I, I just, I want to ask every American, would you want to be a guardian angel and save lives? Because I do, and that's why I'm here, and I'm the only foreign ambassador from the Foundation for United Nations who willingly chose to stay here with her family and a six-year-old son, you know, risking our lives, but staying here to the end to help these people. Because I think that's what being an American is. That's what I believe in. That's what America is to me. Because we were meant to help people. We were meant to be those, you know, guardians <laughs> of the peace and democracy in the world. We were meant to shelter the poor, to help the weak, to protect them. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Hello. Turn the lights back on. Thank you for doing that. By the way, uh, I mean, I do have others in that same uh, in that same cone with uh, that I shot when I was there. Like I said, we did interview some. Uh, Ukrainian people, uh, some in Lviv, which is, uh, I guess, the biggest city in western Ukraine, um, that that had works with Christina a lot on providing aid to people. Um, just a, a few things. We're, this class ends at quarter till, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, just uh, have so much more I want to show you, but I can't. Just don't have time right now. Um, one thing I noticed is there, there's a deep respect for America, as you might could tell. There's a very idealized, not, not without reason, but there's a very idealized image of our country uh, to these people. Uh, and I guess along with that, like they say, with great power comes great responsibility. So that's, there's, I don't know if reverence is the right word, but there's, there's a high regard for us here uh, in, our, in our heart, as you, as you uh, heard Christine uh, describe um, uh, her viewpoint as, as an American. Uh, so anyway, I, uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful, wonderful trip. Once I got in country, uh, I, really wasn't, I really wasn't that scared, <laughs> um, which is why I would say I would, I would go back uh, if, if I could just do that. I, I wasn't that, that scared of it. It gave me a, a, a deep respect for these people. Uh, <clears throat> in a way, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it, it makes me think of church family. And by that I mean <clears throat> when you care about each other, when you love each other, when you are in, your, your interest is in the welfare of each other, uh, and you're willing to work and maybe even sacrifice for that, it's really hard to conquer that. I, I tell people that, you know, the Russia may 
you know, fire missiles and rockets at homes and hospitals and factories and may raise their flags over cities. But I really believe when you, you know, you have, you have people like that, that you, it's really hard, if not impossible, to beat that. And I kind of apply that to church. If I'm looking for a spiritual side to that, I apply that to church too. We're, we're, you know, we constantly encounter an enemy who wants to raise his flag over us and claim us. And uh, if we can unite, hopefully don't shouldn't have to have a war to unite us, but if we can do that, it just makes us stronger and makes our defenses uh, against against that power stronger as well. Um, but I came away with a high regard for them, uh, you know, more regard for our country that we have here. Um, gosh, just so much. I, I, I just, um, it, it's a trip, you know, coming, coming back was much easier than, leaving was much easier than getting over there, although that wasn't uh, easy. I did see that, again, it gives me an appreciation uh, one thing that that I tell people about, uh, I was at a, I was shooting video at a gathering. There were different humanitarian groups getting together. Christina and her husband just had an impromptu meeting, um, and I will say this: I saw a couple of business, a couple of businessmen who would, who had factories and and warehouses, and they would completely. What you saw on that was one place where somebody, the businessman had completely emptied one of his warehouses just for the purpose of storing food, clothing, and things of that sort uh, for people. And that was some of what you saw there. Another, uh, another businessman where this meeting was going on had done the same, completely emptied a warehouse so it could be used for storage. I saw uh, there was a lady in Verota who ran a, uh, like a daycare and kindergarten and had converted that into a refugee shelter center. So there's still a little cute little nursery rhyme, Ukrainian nursery rhyme images on the walls, little fairy tale mother goose kind of stuff. But along with that are beds and dining tables for Ukrainian refugees to eat at. So I saw this consistently, that there was great sacrifice made on the parts of people. And what I was going to say was, kind of back up to my original story, is that, uh, uh, and then I'll, if we have time for any <coughs> questions, I'll do that. Uh, but just in one purpose, uh, if any of y'all ever had an Amber Alert on your phone and you've had that ping or that alarm come through and you've been in a, maybe a public place like a grocery store and you hear it kind of pinging all around the, the store as different phones, I would hear this on their phones. There were about a dozen people and all their phones kind of pinged at the same time with a little alarm sound and I asked somebody later on, I said, okay, what was that? And it's an air raid app. They have an air raid app on their phones, which really <laughs> threw me. <clears throat> to live in a country where you have an air raid app on your phone and it actually goes off from time to time. We were we were in a relatively safe place, so I didn't see my panic. I just kind of watched it. I didn't understand the language, but I watched, and if someone else was panicking, I was going to panic too. But up, <laughs> up until that point, I was just going to try to look as calm as they did. And, one, and Christina did tell me they, they were trying to live their life as normally as possible because when you stop doing that, you kind of give your enemy power. Um, does anybody have any questions? I, 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 I've kind of rambled on here, but any thoughts, any questions, any ideas? Yes? Where did the refugees actually live? I mean, once they came, they most the there were some in different areas. I know Barota had about five thousand 
that's the last count that I heard of. But there were some who went on into Poland, I guess depending on they had family or friends, but on into Poland and on into Romania. Verokta is apparently near the Romanian border. So apparently some go there, but some kind of just fan out. Is the Verokta was, as I understood it, kind of like a, excuse me, a resort town like a Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, only not near that commercialized. But it was in a peaceful, I'll, I'll say a relatively peaceful area. So I know there were around 5,000 there at the time I was there, and I just got the impression that some went across border and some, I know there's a fellow, John Durham, some of you may know him, and he's gone into Romania, and he works with refugees there at some of the churches in Romania. So I do know some go into that country as well. So do they just stay with people? Or they stay with people, shelters? relatives. They stay at churches. They stay at shelters like here. I know, uh, like they did when I was there at the place where I was, I know Christina, uh, when she and her family left Kiev, yes, left Kiev rather hurriedly from what she said, uh, they, they didn't have a destination. They were just driving west. You know, the war is over here and you drive that way. And so uh, I got the impression that a lot of them were just trying to get out of harm's way and really didn't have a, a place to stay or destination other than just to get away from the war. And that was this community I was in was one of those, became one of those, I think by default, I don't know why, but by default it became one of those destinations and that's where they ended up. And Christina sees it as a God thing that she and her family did not come that way by accident. Yes, sir. I, I noticed online that in Gross Square Miles, Ukraine's about the same size as Texas. So if you want to go west, that's not a short trip. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not a short trip. And there's some, as you could tell, there's some mountainous country to go, you know, whereas Texas is flat, there's a mountainous country to, to go through uh, there. Uh, and so, yeah, it's not a, it's not, I know, I just remember Christina telling me they drove when the, when the war I guess February 24th, 25th, you know, at 5 a.m. or whatever, bombs were hitting, and they took off, and they, they drove the whole day into the night, and they were still in country. You know, I mean, it's still a long, long, long way. Yes? Yes, Jim. Is the Foundation for United Nations, STG, affiliated with the United Nations as we know it, or is that just the name of their... It is affiliated with the United Nations. I asked Christina, um, I know we're about out of time, but I asked her... Uh, just so I could understand, I said, now, United Nations, are they funding your group? And she said, no. She said that she has, she's working through them in order to get donations, but the UN itself is not, is not putting anything in. So most of their gifts have been, you know, whether it's individual corporations or uh, churches have been very responsive to their needs as well, but no, it is a, it is a, if you go to the uh, if you go to the website, you'll see the the connection with the UN will be pretty obvious uh, when you go there. So it's it's they're connected to it, but they don't get no funding from it. Uh, okay, I guess that's about. Uh, listen, thank you all. Uh, you can tell that I that I you know, have stuff to share and I enjoy talking about this. And again, it was just a, it was just a real, a life-changing spiritual journey. It opened my eyes tremendously. It made me do things 
And I guess what, you, what I have to do sometimes is just make myself do something, because if I wait till I'm totally comfortable with it, it's probably not going to happen, and I don't have a lot of years to wait, you know, to wait to to feel the to feel the the that I'm going to do something. I kind of have to. Uh, I feel compelled and, and drawn into it, and that's what happened here. Um, Paulette, did you have anything you wanted to? Hey, I got one question. Yes. So I watch the news, and I see all these stories about. Putin's about to give in, he's not going to give in, he, you know, I see all this stuff. I certainly see the resolve of Ukraine and, and, yeah. and their leader, the president, sure. But what is your sense of all of that? Because it's kind of confusing. I don't know how much to, how much to wait to put behind anything. Yeah, and I... What's your sense? I, I'm not interpret. I, I can tell you, I can't, I can, can never imagine Ukrainian and Ukraine giving in, like surrendering, giving up, or sa even saying, okay, we'll let you keep this, you just let us have, you can, you know, we'll throw you a bone, you can keep this, but we need, I can't see that happening, at least from the people I met and their resolve and, and all that. I, I can't see that happening. I, of course, I can't speak again. Uh, I, I blame, again, just a couple of stories, it looks like Putin with, with the Chinese guy and the Indian guy. Yes. That he is saying, "I'm getting out of here." Is that? I don't. I don't know. I wish. Which, I wish that were. Which, which has been questioned about yeah. exactly what he meant by that. Yeah. Was he just appeasing them? Um, whatever. I mean, I, I know just just my read on on it is is that uh, he's capable of anything, and honesty is probably not his best virtue. So. Um, <laughs> So I would, I would. <laughs> but that, but that's that's just. I wish it were predictable. I know they wish it too. Russia has so many resources and so much power. Oh yeah, yeah. It could, you know, this, and I think that's one of the things that surprised me, and I think it surprised everyone. Maybe not the Ukrainians so much, or maybe it did. I thought I thought Russia's going to be in there, and they're going to have that in their back pocket within weeks. And I just have been shocked, and I think the world has too, and I think certainly Mr. Putin has been shocked about about uh, resolve. Yeah, and that and that's again that's what I believe too that if, if people are united in their love and care and compassion for each other, uh, that's a hard thing to beat. Even you know with all the all the armaments that he has, it's it's hard to beat that. Okay, thank you all Can so you much. Send us their uh, email with that website. Yes. Yeah. Thank you.